greetings and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 46 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Kara L.T. Murphy. Um, it was an ex- fascinating, exciting conversation with her to unpack her book, The Inquisitive Christ, um, where she um, unpacks uh, 12 engaging questions that Jesus asked and is asking um, today. And it was phenomenal. Um, She comes with a very interesting background in in biblical languages, um, and she's very insightful. She's a phenomenal communicator. In my experience, somebody that people I've run into are normally a very good orally communicator or sometimes written, but she encompasses both of those. And and, uh, it was just a phenomenal time to sit down with her and to learn from her and uh, unpack some of these questions. Obviously, we were not able to unpack all 12 questions, but it would encourage you to get the book and um, they're challenging the questions that Jesus asked and how Jesus engaged with people. The other one of the other fascinating thing we talk about that she highlights in the book is being narcoleptic in our souls. And then the another idea uh, point that we discussed was the idea that today we try to eradicate all doubt and um, just very insightful, very challenging. I found the book to be very challenging for me um, to begin once again to listen and engage and ask questions. Um, something I've had to return to many times and uh, just appreciated her reminding me of that. And uh, she's a phenomenal female leader and was it was an honor and privilege to have her on the podcast today. Do want to just share one thing. We will be having um, in the month of October, we'll be doing some special episodes on Thursdays that we're in the process of recording now where we unpack the um, AG, Assemblies of God World Mission, AGWM, um, competencies when it comes to training. So we we discuss missionary life and work, um, Bible and theology. We discuss mission, um, culture and uh, missiology. And it's just fascinating conversations for, for people that uh, many of us know well. Like last night, we sat down with Dr. John Easter and um, unpacked uh, Bible and theology and talked about biblical literacy and um, where where the, the U.S. and Western culture is going when it comes to biblical literacy. Fascinating conversation. Um, spent some time with Pat and Suzanne Hurst. Pat's, me, me and Pat co-host these episodes. And um, Pat and Suzanne um, unpacking a missionary life and work and Tammy Lashway on culture and um, coming up Steve Pennington on missiology. And it's just a a phenomenal time, an interesting time to learn and grow. And I think you'll find those super valuable. So they'll be coming out um, in the month of October um, and we'll launch those as just a special series um, on Thursdays. Do want to thank today's sponsor, which would be Central Assembly of God and Pastor Doug Seaman in Cumberland, Maryland, caring for each person, connecting each story and celebrating each miracle. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend, um, Kara Murphy, Kara L.T. Murphy to be exact. And um, I... Uh, Got to meet her through an acquaintance, um, Morgan Snyder, who we interviewed on the podcast. He said, I was asking for him for suggestions, and he said, Kara would be phenomenal. So, Kara, it's so exciting to have you on the podcast with us. Would you mind introducing yourself to the audience for maybe those who don't know you as well? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure to be here. I have been looking forward to it greatly. Um, I will start by introducing myself and saying that I am a woman of the questions, Hmm. Um, a kingdom disciple and daughter. I like to start there. Um, I'm also a, although I live currently in Virginia, I am a 
Celtic pilgrim, um, have Irish heritage, Irish ancestry, love Ireland, and um, very much compelled to adventure and compelled to the spiritual disciplines. Um, I'm also uh, a wife to the amazing Jimmy Murphy for 16 years. Um, and I have two beautiful daughters. They're both um, in middle school, preteens, Macy and Josephine. I'm a writer, I'm a speaker, uh, professor at the undergraduate level in biblical studies, and also have done research in biblical languages for my degree. Wow. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. We didn't talk about this question, but as a female leader, and uh, being an expert in biblical languages, what? How did you end up there? Oh my, that's quite a story. Um, <laughs> it, it, it kind of uh, it was very unintentional. I'll say that it was very much directed by God's Spirit. Yeah. I actually went into my undergrad program um, wanting to major in English and be a writer full time. Um, been a lifelong dream of mine, but I got a small taste of biblical languages kind of haphazardly. And what it was like was um, unlocking a treasure chest in the scriptures. And I fell head over heels in love with God's word, but specifically God's word in its original language and just wanting more, very passionate about it. Um, and I have a, I really have a beautiful story. Of course, it felt very much like a minority in my program a lot of a lot of the time. Yeah. But I had so many mentors that really nurtured that passion in me for God's word hmm. um, and allowed me opportunities to even come in their classrooms and teach for them the biblical languages. And so it kind of um, parachuted from there into a, a full on career as a professor. Wow. And um, being able to nurture for myself, again, both, both young women and young men into yeah. more of God's word. And that is my passion. Yeah, that's phenomenal. And a, and a phenomenal story. I, I applaud you for going and what you're doing. Um, I uh, took a class in Greek and a class in Hebrew, and that was it. And, um, and, uh, that was it. I did take four years of Latin in high school and, um, I took it because you couldn't, I didn't have to speak it and, um, I didn't do too well in that either. So anyway, I applaud you for your expertise. Oh, thank you. It is definitely not mine. So thank you. Thank you. Today, we're going to um, just have a great conversation about, um, your book, the inquisitive Christ. And, um, I just wanted to start off to, to just as a question to you, a little bit of the background and what led you to write this book. And um, yeah, it, this just to start there. Yeah. Well, again, another great story. So I'll try to, I'll try to keep it concise, Aaron. But um, I think I would begin by saying in my Christian walk and in my Christian faith, um, I always was more comfortable with answers. Hmm. In fact, I think there is maybe an unacknowledged or unspoken um, belief that I had that actually that was the goal of being mm. a good Christian is to eliminate questions yeah. and have all the answers. Yeah. Um, I'm probably not alone in that, <laughs> but um, a, a paradigm shift happened um, really in, in, in a very climactic way. Um, two things happened. I guess one, one would be more gradual. One would be more climactic. I'll start with the gradual. There was a slow steady realization as I became more mature in my faith, hit my, hit my thirties, um, of how 
empty and devoid of intimacy, the posture of answer seeking is. Hmm. You know, I, I think about relationships in general. Um, and if I lose curiosity about the person I'm in relationship with, mm-hmm. that's, um, that's very dull. It, it really does. It lacks that intimacy and richness of, of knowing in a dynamic way. Um, and, and so that gradually came into my awareness yeah. that, that I was empty. I was very dissatisfied with the, with the Christian life that I was living with all these answers that I had. But the climactic moment came, um, God very unexpectedly asked my husband and I a question. Um, and it was one of those moments where we both knew it was God asking. Mm. Um, and he asked, will you come away with me? Mm. And um, that, was, that was our invitation. It wasn't a demand, it wasn't a command. It was an invitation to leave the familiar and what we found was comfortable. In fact, what we were pursuing was comfortable. Um, and to step out into the unknown. And, and Aaron, I write a lot more about that in the intro of yeah. the book about that journey. Uh, of yeah. course, that led us to um, living in Ireland for some time. Um, but really, in that process, discovering that questions aren't a sign of failure. Mm. They're not a sign that something is going wrong. In fact, they're actually really good, that they are the lifeblood in every healthy relationship, and that Jesus himself is asking questions. In doing the research um, and discovering that Jesus actually asked over 350 questions throughout Mm. the Gospels and Acts. He he throws one in for Paul's sake um, on (laughs) the road to Damascus, which I love. I love. and, and that, that, that is how he chooses to speak to us really yeah. got my attention. And so as I was continuing the research um, and wanting, wanting to bring the questions more fully present in my own life, feeling like perhaps others may need this too, and um, also instinctively feeling like uh, that, that the enemy had placed a fog hmm. over these questions of Jesus. I know in my experience of studying scripture, even in its original language, I had been flying over these questions and not really paying attention to what was going on in the, in the dialogue and the narratives. And so having this really, I I call it like a Jeremiah compulsion in my gut Mm. to join the work with God's spirit of dispelling the fog around these questions. So that led to the inquisitive Christ. Wow. And it really resonated with me. You know, I, I've realized in my life, I've always been rewarded for right answers. I've never, I can't, I can't say never. So never is a big word, but infrequently have I been rewarded um, for asking a good question. And I'd like to think I'm better than a dog, but at the same time, you know, you seem to do and go the way you're rewarded for and um, in education, I think my education, I, you know, is I got rewarded for having the right answers. And so it was just fascinating for me how you unpack that and how that impacts our spiritual life. And it's just you've clearly articulated it um, there. And so anyway, it's great and excellent book. And, yeah. the, and I do encourage the listeners to buy the book and you can hear the intro and the, uh, the fascinating story that, that made me nervous because I'm not a good swimmer. So um, anyway. <laughs> What, 
just uh, we can't unpack the whole book on the podcast today, but could you just share maybe one or two treasures that you've discovered um, as you've examined and you've studied? The, there's 12 questions, um, 12 engaging questions in the, that Jesus asked that you highlight in the book and, and you unpack. Is there just a, a treasure, maybe an overarching treasure? Because we'll jump into one or two of the questions specifically, but just an overarching treasure that you found as you've studied and, and wrote the book. Mm, I love that question, Erin, because yes, I, I, I feel like I am the main character in the parable Jesus um, told about the, the man who was digging around for something and he unexpectedly find this, found this pearl of great price. And that is how I feel. Yeah. Just so humbled to be a part of the finding of these treasures. Um, one thing I would say is, and this was a, a completely unexpected discovery, um, but that every question that I encountered that Jesus asked is returning us to the garden. Hmm. It is returning us to the intimacy and the union that took place before the fall. Hmm. It is returning us to restoration and wholeness. And um, really throughout the book, relating the question back into the garden scenario was one of the greatest gifts I've received from God in my life. Mm. So that's definitely a treasure. And, and I would also say um, discovering more of Jesus's realness in his mm. questions. I mean, Jesus has an incredibly dynamic personality. He's hilarious. Yeah. He is playful. He is um, fierce. He is unapologetically disruptive. Mm. And, and, the questions, each one, um, were were like he was offering me more of who he really is, even in his question. Mm. Um, and I love that. You know, one of the I'm actually I'm actually going through the book myself as for my morning devotion because I just can't leave these questions. That yeah. his questions are too good. But I was reading this morning. Um, I believe it's I believe it's chapter eight. Uh, I don't know, but. Um, the question, do you have anything here to eat? Hmm. And just, oh man, the playfulness in that moment, but yeah. yet the depth of the content behind that question, yeah. it's profound. Yeah. And, and I just want to know him more. So yeah. his questions do that for us. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the treasure. Yeah, that's a fascinating chapter too. Um, I just finished it uh, on Sunday, but um, it is it's uh, and challenging. I think that that chapter honestly really challenged me, and it's uh, and, and it provokes a lot of self reflection. And um, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. Oh, thank you know, you. the um, one of the other questions that really stuck out to me was, um, "Do you not yet understand?" And in that in that chapter, that's a chapter two. You talk about. Um, you share that we, the image bearers, mistrust the image giver. Could you unpack that and um, how this, how that mistrust then affects our souls, and uh, yeah, how that how that affects our souls in everyday life? Sure, um, I would say that we live in a world that that prizes doubt. Hmm. Um, skepticism, mistrust, we, we've actually value those things at this point. And I believe part of the reason why is because we have all been burned hmm. by misplaced trust yeah. on the, on the institutional level. And boy, could we, could we just talk about that for a while, yeah. but also on the individual personal relationship level, um, we've all, we've all tried 
to put our trust in something and had our hands slapped away. Hmm. And so I think that we, we do, we come to a conclusion somewhere in us. And I, and I read about this, that trust is for children and fools, but not hmm. for grownups, uh, not for mature adults. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, I think this cultural value of cynicism sneaks its way into our spiritual life, even for lovers of Jesus it's very hard not to breathe that air around us. Um, It it definitely affects our relationship with God to a point that we might quietly unnamed, but quietly wonder if God is just maybe not like everyone else that we've experienced that has, has betrayed or abandoned us. Hmm. So this is by the way, I think why we need questions. Yeah. Um, from this posture, questions gently go around our natural defenses hmm. in a way that lecturing yeah. would never be able to achieve. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why he uses questions is to get to the heart, the root of that doubt and mistrust without scaring us off. Yeah. We need his questions. Yeah. So in that, why do you, why do you think, um, why is not a good question? What are some of the reasons that we hesitate in asking questions? You know, why this, at least for me, um, I guess we're looking at my life, but I hesitate in asking (laughs) questions when I know that what you're sharing is true, but there is still that hesitation of, and I, now I see the link of how it affects our soul, but there's just a hesitation um, because you shared it disarms. It doesn't, you know, when we, you said, I think in the book, you said, if you make a statement that puts you on the defensive because you feel like you have to defend yourself and defend your opinion. Um, yes. But when you ask a question that's playfully and that allows you, it, it puts people at ease. So yes. why, why do you think are some of the reasons that we, we don't ask questions? Mm, that is a great question. I think we view questions as um, uncertainty Hmm. or weakness, and and we don't like to feel uncertain or weak. I think questions can be very vulnerable, Mm -hmm. Um, genuine questions. You know, I think that also as a culture, we've learned how to ask questions that are more accusational than they are genuine inquiry. That's good. And um, we mask that vulnerability by doing it that way. Hmm. Um, I think we, you know, I think it was Francis Bacon that first said knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And when we ask a question, we are revealing and exposing a place in us that is not powerful. Wow. Um, so we, but we get to, as kingdom heirs, we get to look at questions really differently because yeah. the Godhead looks at questions really differently. Hmm. Um, scriptures teach us that. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that really stuck out to me, how you, how you, as you write, uh, eloquently write, those questions draw people in and the kingdom mindset of somebody to draw into uh, a relationship versus as, as you've just shared is it's not a, it's not a power play. It's not how much I know and how much you don't know. Cause obviously Jesus knew the answers to the questions, but he still asked because he wanted to draw people in. And um, I think that was one of the challenges I got out of your book was to be more intentional about relationships by asking questions and um, not leading with, with the answers. And uh, yes. so it's good. It's good, good stuff. One of the other things um, I wanted to, to ask you about today was um, 
you, you talk about the we desire to um, crave total eradication of doubt. And we strive, I think the, the quote is actually to strive to force subjugating of all questions to that end. And so we're trying to get erase all doubt. Is that another futile um, pursuit in our relationships when we're trying to erase all doubt? Mm. I would say certainly. Yeah. But it won't stop us from trying. Hmm. Um, I think that this is a really, this is a complex issue and I, I, um, it has a history as old as Genesis three. Um, the first question we have ever recorded in the scriptures is in Genesis three. It's asked by Satan and he asks, did God really say, Yeah. and, um, I think we, we ate that fruit because and remember the tree was called the knowledge yeah. of good and evil. Hmm. And so we want that complete knowledge. I mean, even in paradise and perfection, something beckoned to our forebears to eat that fruit for complete knowledge. Um, we fear having our own personal lack of understanding sabotage our lives and hmm. Satan, the enemy just honed right in on that. Yeah. Um, I think we also fear being forced under submission to another authority, someone who has more knowledge than we do as well. So again, going back to trust is for children and fools. So doubt must be the thing that makes me kingly or uh, hmm. powerful. And, um, but yes, it is a futile pursuit, Aaron. Hmm. It is. Yeah. But yeah, but it's it's interesting how we drift. We drift towards the futility. If life was just set up so we would drift towards the the healthy things in life, man, it would be it'd, oh, be, it'd be a totally different one. But anyway, that's that's big, bigger than me, bigger than me. So um, mm. you also um, share in the book that Jesus um, asked questions to provide clarity, but the enemy will ask questions to create chaos in our lives. Could you go a little bit deeper on that? Because to me, that's a very profound statement. And um, mm -hmm. because that's what I'm saying is not all questions are created equal and not all questions would have the same intent if, if, if I'm reading what you're sharing. And to me, that, that was just another thing that I highlighted and, and spent some time thinking about. Mm, absolutely. Uh, well, as I just referenced, you know, the, the questions of the enemy beginning from Genesis 3 moving forward, they yeah. are meant to initiate with us an unholy dialogue hmm. within ourselves that, that ultimately aims toward, I think his ultimate outcome is that we would accuse God and his goodness. Hmm. Jesus's questions, however, they create a different dialogue yeah. with us, one that brings life and freedom and intimacy. You know, Satan will ask questions that are really just suggestions um, in the form of questions, for hmm. example. And we could probably, if we could get really quiet in our souls, we, we might hear those things coming at us from the outside, like, is God really good? Hmm right here, right now in this circumstance that I'm living, is God really good? Am I really safe in his care? Hmm. That's the unholy dialogue that we are constantly being invited into from the enemy of our souls. Yeah. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus's questions are just as constant and his questions are light. Hmm. They, are, they are challenging, 
they're disruptive, but they are light. Yeah. Um, like for, for example, chapter nine, um, I talk about the question he asks the man in John five, do you want to be well? Hmm. Um, that is not a redundant question for this man. There is something very disruptive. Um, it invites an honest assessment of the readiness of our souls to receive more healing from God, as well as an invitation into that conversational intimacy with Jesus. So Jesus's questions do provide clarity and closeness, but he's also not the only one asking. Yeah. And we need to be careful um, which questions our souls are turning toward. Yeah. And I think for this audience of the podcast, one of the biggest questions that, that, in 18 years in missions, um, I think that one of the biggest questions is, did God really call you to this place? Did God mm. really call you to live in a place that, you know, because many of the people that are listening, oh, yes. they might they might serve in a place and, and shine the light of the gospel. And there might only ever be one or two people, if one or two people, that would accept the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think yes. the, in my experience, um, you hear that. And I've heard that question asked myself, did God really want you to live in Madagascar? Did God really, is this really what he wants you to do? And the thing for me is, is the more I dwell on those questions and not what God, what Jesus is leading me towards, it, it does create doubt and, um, and, and it can erode really, really quick. So that was, yes. I think, as I thought you shared that, I think that's one question that our listeners freak. I can't say all listeners, but I think that's one I've heard frequently is, did God really call me to do this? And, um, man, once mm -hmm. you play that, that plays out in your mind for a long time. It, uh, it yes. doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't go uphill. It goes downhill pretty quick. So. Right. Well, and in all vulnerability, Aaron, I, I have been asked continually, did God really intend for you to release a book um, in the middle of a global pandemic where, you know, all of the bookstores shut down? Hmm. Um, that question <laughs> I have had to come before Jesus with many times and, and say, I'm being asked this question. This one is the one that's entertaining my soul right now. What yeah. question do you have that you want to talk about, about this? Because this is, this is hard. This has been yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think it's really good and important to recognize, like you were just saying, where we're hearing questions and, and making sure we're, you know, engaging the right ones. Yeah, that's good. One of the other fascinating things you share in the book is about um, narcolepsy. And, um, you know, <laughs> at, at my house, I uh, do it quite a bit used to do it before COVID did it quite a bit of travel. And so, um, and you, know, you get on an, you get on an airplane and the time change and all that kind of stuff. And I always say I'm narcoleptic because I can have, be having a conversation with the person sitting next to me on the, the plane. And the next thing um, I fall asleep and wake up, I really feel like I'm a narcoleptic at times, but I don't think I am. <laughs> but anyway, you share about narcolepsy and, um, and how, and the, and make a correlation with our souls. Could mm -hmm. you just un unpack that uh, concept a little bit? Cause it was another thing that really I found found interesting and honestly insightful. Mm, well, sure. But first of all, I'll just say, I'll wake you up if you fall asleep here in just a second. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, no problem. I got you. <laughs> um, yeah, so you're referring to chapter three and the question that Jesus asked um, is, why are you sleeping? And actually, it's one of the questions that occurs most often, which hmm. really surprised me in my hmm. research. Um, he asks it several times and in several kind of kind of different ways, different contexts. Um, but this question to me 
ultimately speaks to the issue of pace. Hmm. The world's pace is rushed, um, it frenzied, pressure-filled, and ultimately it is exhausting. Hmm. Um, I think we, we uh, enter into this pace because we are lacking somewhere um, security and significance for ourselves. So we hmm. enter in thinking we're going to find it in that pace. Um, but, you know, with your audience and me, um, we don't want to hurry by this too quickly because this is all too common in ministry and church. We yeah. can't just uh, pin it on the world here. Yeah. There is a frenzied, frenetic pace to ministry at times. Um, I, one of my mentors, Dallas Willard, loved Dallas Willard's writings. He, um, he wrote one time, the single most important thing for life with God is to ruthlessly eliminate the hurry from our lives. Hmm. That, that doesn't necessarily mean clear your schedule, but it does mean walk with God from a place of rest and quietness, no matter what the schedule of the day looks like. And I think that's what this question really gets to the heart of. Hmm. Kingdom pace is is so much different than how we think it is. Yeah. The questions of Jesus show us this. This question particularly shows us this and it invites a kingdom pace because it creates a spaciousness, an invitation to slow down, to breathe, mm. um, especially if we don't rush to answer him because he's not looking for that quick answer when he asks, why are you sleeping? I think he wants to create a space for us to sit and talk with him about it, even talk with ourselves about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But well, I, was, I was also just going to say real quick that I think one of the important things about this question as well is, um, and this is very comforting to me, is, is this question particularly deals with what does Jesus' face look like when he has to wake us back up? Um, well, to me, that's a bit of a spiritual failure to be caught sleeping when hmm. Jesus has asked us to watch and wait with him yeah. and to pray. Yeah. Um, and so I have really personally had to deal with like, what is the face of Jesus look like as he gently wakes me up? Hmm. Is it, is it disgusted, annoyed, or, or is there a kindness and a graciousness there? And of course there is. Yeah. Wow. I think, um, you know, the, the thing, once again, the drift is towards exhaustion and frenic, that fast paced. And uh, if it was just towards rest, man, I think we'd be better off. But anyway, that's a, one of those things. But I, I find myself also, you know, I, I run uh, before COVID, you know, you run at a high pace. And obviously why I'm falling asleep on a plane is because I'm exhausted. Um, yes. but, and it, but it does, it, there is, uh, that does affect our souls. There's no doubt about it. No doubt sure. about it. One last, one last question. And then, um, well, I just asked you to pray for the audience. Um, and this was another one I thought was, um, really interesting. You talk, um, I think the quote is exactly this, that we've decided being a son or daughter is no longer necessary. We've already been saved by Jesus. Um, could you go a little bit deeper on that question and, um, and how that also affects our souls when we've, we have Jesus, but we don't necessarily need to be a son or daughter. Mm. Um, Aaron, would it be okay if I actually read that little portion sure. from the book? Okay. For sure. Okay. Um, no wonder we're cautious about the everlasting father. Every child has been taught to mistrust the name. 
That association of God with Father will always cause a twinge of pain or confusion in whatever spot is tender in our own hearts. This is part of the reason why the world, and even sometimes the church, has rejected its need for Father God. Hmm. We come into God's family through Jesus, but we've been suspicious about this deity who wants to father us. In my affection for Jesus, I have felt more comfortable as a redeemed sinner than as a beloved daughter. Hmm. We cling to Jesus, the saving son, pushing the father out of his own home. Hmm. Jesus saved me. This I've almost always known. But what have we known of the father? The father shaped hollow place in each of us questions. Where is he? Where is the father? With each new horror story of cruelty and neglect in the home. We've decided being a son or daughter is no longer necessary when we're already saved by Jesus. Um, the, the question that Jesus asks here is, how can you ask, where is the father? He asks this of Philip. Um, this question really always hits me right between the eyes. This, what I just read was my experience for a very long time of, of feeling so comfortable with this savior, Jesus, um, but not quite so at home in the father's house. Yeah. Um, but Jesus in this question is teaching us, of course, spending time with him is equal to being with his father and our father. Hmm. And this question reminds us that Jesus is eager, relentless even, and that every orphan meets their good father because we need him. We need him. And that we should each know and love our father as Jesus knows and loves his father is the beautiful aim. Hmm. And this question really gets us right to the heart of that. Wow. Wow. Well, you're a phenomenal writer and uh, an ex a phenomenal communicator. And that's, that's super evident. And uh, where can people, if they're looking for your book or to follow you on social media, how can they get to know more about your writings and more about, um, about you? Mm, thanks, Aaron. Um, well, you can go to my website, which is caraltmurphy.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Kara LT Murphy author. Yeah. Um, and that would be fantastic. Good deal. Good deal. We'll put links to those in the, in the show notes. And, um, Kara, we normally end the podcast, um, and ask the, asked for prayer. And so you could pray whatever way you would like, um, for the audience that God would use what you have shared, showed, sh shared with us today that, uh, mm -hmm. not just head knowledge, but things that we will put into actions, not a, another a discussion about questions, but we will allow these to penetrate into our soul and, um, that we will be more people that we will be people that seek intimacy with Christ and um, not respond with answers, but uh, to be people that lead with questions and model what Jesus did in, in our lives. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Aaron. Yes, I'm honored to pray. Father, Holy Spirit, our inquisitive Christ, we come before you and we want to risk. We want to risk welcoming your questions. We want to risk slowing down and breathing so that, we, so that we might hear what you are asking by your spirit. With a little fear, perhaps, and trembling, we ask you, what question are you asking me today? 
right now. Lord, would you open the ears of our heart and the eyes of our soul that we might see you and know you and receive more of you. We ask that by spending time with you and the questions you ask, that you would give us the gift and the ability to ask kingdom questions of others. Lord, I pray for each and every ministry represented by every listener today. Lord, would you bless them and lift up your countenance upon them this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray together as brothers and sisters all across the world. 